Good morning. Once again, Grace City, so good to be with you this Sunday morning. And hey, let's just give a shout out to Grace City's own 16-year-old Sydney Peterson for her solo work on that last song that we worshiped with. Sydney, great job. Lord, I'm available to you. I, lo I love the lyrics. You sang, you sang these words, uh, you, got, you, Lord, gave me my voice. And that is so pertinent for what we're talking about today. So thank you, Sydney. Just give her some applause there at home, if you would. Sydney Peterson, just beautiful to have our youth step up and step into what the Lord would have for them as they grow in Christ. Well, you know, another thing that's really pertinent for us this morning is that Black History Month concludes today. And uh, four weeks ago, I began um, uh, February by honoring uh, Black History Month and calling us all to, to honor Black History Month because, listen folks, it is so significant, not just for black Americans, but for all Americans. And it's not just one month, it's all year. It's all of our lives. And, you know, with a pandemic that has killed uh, 500,000 plus people now, and a disproportionate amount of those are black Americans, with, um, uh, in the midst of an ongoing uh, movement for racial justice uh, that um, came to be in 2020, I, I want us to listen to the voice, and we're talking about voices today. I want us to listen to the voice of Amanda Gorman from her inaugural poem. And she said this one line that really captures me, it's history has its eyes on us. And I would say to you all that this is true for all followers of Christ in this season. History has its eyes on all of us. So step up like Sydney did, step in, use your voice. Now, Amanda Gorman goes on in her poem, I just gotta say this um, uh, because it's so pertinent to what we're talking about this morning. She said, the hill we climb, and that's the title of her poem, the hill we climb if only we dare, it's, be, it's because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. So history has its eyes on us, followers of Christ, Grace City Church. History has its eyes on us um, as we do honor to black Americans uh, throughout history and tomorrow as well. Well, we're on set uh, with James for the next two weeks, this theme fits right into this issue of voices and talk and dialogue. And, and when you're on set, uh, on a movie set or a theater set, it's all about the dialogue, right? Uh, and James says to us today, learn your lines. And that's the title I'm working from for the next two weeks. So learn your lines, part one, this week. And we're going to focus this week more on the theology of speech in God's creation. And next week, in part two, we will center on the practice of speech that honors God on earth, especially when we disagree. And we'll come from James when he begins chapter four next week. What causes quarrels and fights among you? That will be particularly relevant for our time, won't it? Well, as chapter three of James begins, we hear words that are both profoundly challenging and representative of God's stunning love. Because if God didn't love us, he surely wouldn't care about all the many conversations that we have every day, but he does care. And that presents a blessing and a challenge for all of us. It's intolerable, church, for, for James to talk about following Christ without talking about our talk. And listen, this is not a warning to stop talking. God is a talker. Somebody say amen. God is a talker. And we are made in his image to be talkers as well. Don't forget that uh, Genesis, at the beginning, 
features God bringing order to the chaos with speech. And God said, God said, let. And he spoke things into being. Or the colossal beginning of John's gospel. John actually steals the opening lines of Genesis. And this is how he begins his gospel. You remember, in the beginning was the what? The Word, capital W, the Word of God. It's all about the Word, our voice, our speech, our talk. This is how God rolls. This is how God creates. This is how God has made us to be like him. We are talkers, just like God. Now, we see the meaning of this in our everyday lives without a doubt. One of the most thrilling seasons that, that any parent can have is when their child begins to form speech. One day she wakes up in her crib, she looks up at her parents and says something like, and her father screams, I think she said God is good, because, because it's breathtaking when we can dive into a relationship that is driven by words. My kids with my grandkids remind them of the same thing that I reminded my kids of. Use your words, darling, use your words, because it's, because it's, it's just lovely when we can talk to each other. So I wanna to say to you as we begin this morning, use your words, Grace City. Use your words, use the voice God has given you like Sydney did earlier this morning. Talk is godlike in its property. It's a reminder of our connection to heaven while we journey on earth as it is in heaven. Are you with me? And at their finest, human words take their cue from the word, the capital word, the word of God. Because remember, John goes on to write, and the word of God became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This, of course, is Jesus. Now listen, in the midst of talk's divine dimension, there is also something fundamentally human about, uh, and potentially flawed about our world of talk. So James is going to bear down on this, and he starts first with me and Corey and the elders and small group leaders and any of you who have ever led a Bible study or talked to somebody about Christ or about the Bible. So this pretty much includes all of us. Look, look with me at James 3, chapter, uh, verse 1. It makes sense that James begins with those who aspire to be teachers as you look at that. He tells us, watch out, watch out. Those who teach will be judged with a more severe standard. Why? Well, we don't know exactly what James has in mind. He doesn't tell us, but it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because he calls, he calls us out as teachers because speech is the standard tool of our work, and the potential for damage is much greater. But of course, this doesn't mean that leaders shouldn't lead and shouldn't point the way toward God's will for the world. And we find uh, help for this as James moves on to uh, universal application for all of us in our everyday world of talk in which we all live. And here, uh, church, is the first thing James wants us to know. The first thing is this, our talk carries power. Our talk carries power. And I can't overstate how significant this is and how often we miss it. I'm gonna spend most of my time on this point, our talk carries power. Take a look at verses three through six on your screen. And as you look at that, let me just tell you, he's painting, take a look, he's painting uh, persuasive word pictures. Do you see them? He, he talks about a, a tiny bit in the mouth of a horse will direct her wherever you want her to go, like our tongue. He, he talks about the tiny rudder that guides an enormous ship wherever the pilot wants it to go. And then he talks, he says, and even a tiny spark, 
as we've seen on the West Coast and around the world, can, a tiny spark can set thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of acres on fire. In church, James is not primarily speaking of the obvious um, dimensions of foul language and four-letter words that we often draw out of this text. Here he's talking far more about the, the corporate theater of gossip and slander and massive intentional lies that can immolate or consume, can consume the family, the neighborhood, the beloved community of God. Grace City, fire is a weighty image in the New Testament. James, of course, would not have known the concept of going viral, but he knew that false speech can be inflammatory. It can disrupt community. It can twist policy. It can propel the economy in ways that perpetuate inequity. And it's especially complicated for us in America because, I mean, just take a look at our present social and political dialogue. This will make James' reflection on the destructive power of the tongue immediately relevant for you and for me. And I want to call out the Safe Spaces class that began last week and has continued this week. And if you haven't been part of that, this is creating safe spaces for conversations when we disagree, disagree across various divides. Take advantage of that class. Go back and see the recordings. Join the class anytime. It's on for four total weeks. But, and we're going to have lots of follow-up to that coming too around this uh, arena of our talk and our words. Now, many countries in the global community do not have the right to free speech, right? But in America, our right to speak out is protected. And James would ask us, how well do we live up to the responsibility granted with such freedom? Do we see it as a license to tear down or as a responsibility to build up or replace that which has been torn down? So as chapter 2 ended and chapter 3 begins, James is in an Old Testament space. He's in a theological space. And now as he considers the enormous power and potential of our talk for doing good or evil, he's urging, urging followers of Christ to, to both practice the speech ethic of the Old Testament and to reflect the ethic of Jesus' speech in our speech. Two dimensions of the Old, Te Old Testament prophetic tradition are in view here. First, we see it in Exodus 20. And it's the ninth commandment. You know the Ten Commandments. The ninth commandment we often overlook. We don't spend much time with it. But take a look at it on your screen. Here it is. And I'll say it in the King James because that's how I learned it. It's probably how most of us learned it. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's Exodus 20, 16. And by neighbor here, church, God has in mind any other member of the social community. So intentional lies, that's what false witness is, intentional lies, falsehoods, uttered in community will damage the neighbor and diminish the neighborhood. So real community, real community depends upon reliable truth telling. Don't miss that. Real community depends upon reliable truth telling. And the Old Testament expands this critical idea found in the prophetic tradition, and we find it in the, the woe oracles of Isaiah chapter 5. Woe, W-O-E. These are the woe oracles, and it's woe to you. Listen, look at verse 20 with me, because this is about our speech. And notice the formula that Isaiah uses here. He says this, woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil. Woe unto them that put darkness for light, and light for darkness. Woe unto them that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. 
Isaiah's three examples, it's not hard to find examples in contemporary times of these kinds of things happening. For instance, we call good evil when we call fair elections stolen. We put darkness for light when we call intentional lies free speech. Are you with me? We put bitter for sweet when we call racism law and order. And church, the outcome of such deceitful community rhetoric can result in the practice of a human economy that is distorted to serve predatory interests. And James says it will consume us like fire. It will consume us like fire. James understood theologically that speech summons worlds into being. This is how God creates. So the tongue may serve to enrich the neighborhood, promote justice, offer assurance in times of trouble, or the tongue may destroy worlds, worlds around us. So our job, church, is to speak up without tearing down. And we can avoid tearing down when we're careful to replace deceit with that which builds up. So listen to this formula. We call out utterances that bear false witness, that tell intentional lies, but we call in those with whom we disagree in order to build up community. We call out the lies, we call in the people. So don't make the mistake of, of thinking that you must be silent and never make judgments about good and evil in the world. Often followers of Christ take this text that we're in today and other texts and, and they cease speaking out altogether. They just remain silent. and That's not an option. We are made to be talkers on God's behalf. And often followers of Christ will pamper ongoing evil with, with even more out-of-context verses. They'll say, well, do not judge lest you be judged. And I get that. Jesus said it. But Jesus did not mean that we should never exercise judgment, right? He wants us to bring humility to it. And he gave the moral context in that same teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye first, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we, we must judge, but do so with great care that begins and ends by looking in the mirror of God's word through self-examination. We must bring self-examination through God's word and bring humility, moral humility, to the task of exercising judgment on behalf of the kingdom. Jesus himself demonstrated such needful judgment in, in both religious and political and economic spheres. He did it in multiple confrontations with the Pharisees. We'll talk about some of them next week. And, and, and in his dismissive political commentary on Herod. Paul, well, James, the author of our text this morning, James and Peter had an ongoing conflict with Paul. It, it really was quite something. But they, they learned how to call each other in rather than to push each other away. They called each other in as they called the falsehood out. And I'll say more about that next week too. The power of speech contains a difficult paradox for Christians. This is hard, but it is worth learning. And we'll talk more about all of it next week. But learn to call out lies and to call in people. Those of us who heed the call of James here in chapter 3 have a mandate to preserve utterances of trust and call in sisters and brothers to conversation and call out utterances of falsehood. Grace City, in our speech, words that bring life require constant care on our part to counter the many words of, of, of death, lies that surround us in this world. And James says, 
That is the kind of power God has given us in our speech. Oftentimes, couples that come to me for uh, couples counseling uh, will, you know, I'll say, well, what, what's going on? What, what would you like to begin with? And more often than not, they'll say, we just, uh, we need to learn how to, we don't know how to communicate. And, and I, I always go through this ritual. I say, well, tell me a little bit more. And it turns out that, and I'll say to them, sounds to me like you all c- communicate really well. And here's what I'm hearing you communicate. You are angry with each other, disappointed with each other, frustrated with each other. And you are communicating that quite clearly. Because church, our words always communicate. They always have a direction to them. They can be verbal. They can be nonverbal. It can be carried in your tone of voice. And this is what couples go through. It's what all of us go through. And I would say this, either your communication is moving in a life direction or uh, in words of truth and encouragement and peace, or your words are moving in a, in a death direction, words of boasting and wickedness and malice and gossip. Great City, long after the physical bruises of sticks and stones have healed, wounds of the heart in community and individuals live on due to the power of the words we speak or even endorse. So we must ask, why do we repeat statements we know to be false? We do it so often because it just confirms something I believe. We we have to ask, why do we say things that our child, our spouse, our employee, our friend should never hear out of our mouths? We must ask, Why in the nature of keeping secrets do we speak ill of anyone behind their back and thus damage not only our relationship with that person, but creates conflict then with the person we've shared the secret with, with that person. I call it triangling. You've heard me talk about it before. Why do we do this? Well, James steps up. Sisters and brothers, he's saying in verses 3 to 6, God has placed in your mouth a powerful gift. It is the gift of creation itself. And it carries the power to create worlds over the course of your life, your relationships, and throughout your community. So Grace City, take seriously the power of your talk. And to do so effectively, uh, James wants us to know a second foundation. And here it is. Our talk carries power. And secondly, he wants us to know that our talk needs divine grace. And here's the sub-question to that. Will you just own your own stuff? Will you own it for yourself? We have to first own this theological reality that our talk needs divine grace. There's nothing, church, that demonstrates my profound need of rescue and forgiveness and grace more than what comes out of my mouth. Think about it. Would you feel at ease if someone published a transcript of everything you've said and done in the last year? I don't think any of us would feel good about that. And James writes something almost funny in verse 2. Take a look at it. He's saying that if you are perfect with your speech... You don't have to worry about anything. You've got life. You've got it. You've got it in your hands. You don't have to worry. And here's something I can tell you then for sure. None of us here meets that standard. Online, offline, none of us is in line today when it comes to our speech. So we can say this with certainty. Our talk will certainly make trouble somewhere, sometime for us down the road. And the possibilities are endless, of course. A thoughtless word, a weaponized word, a manipulative suggestion, harmful gossip, Impure words, camouflaged aggressions, words of of doubt, intentional lies, threats, words that trigger trauma or induce shame. And and we we can actually excuse all of this in the name of free speech. 
But for citizens of heaven, James is saying, it's a minefield of destructive possibility that you need to rein in through the grace of God. James confirms this in verses 7 and 8. Take a look at it. He says, All kinds of creatures are being tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. He says this, It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's the bad news, church. On our own, we don't have the self-control to deal with this. You know, self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We're really pretty bad at it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good. We get to self-control, and James is saying, you don't have what it takes to rein in your tongue, to, to honor God with your voice, your talk, your words. Our words can only be healed by the word Jesus, the capital W, the word become flesh. And Grace City, don't, don't, take, don't give in to the temptation to sit there this morning and, and be thinking about others around you and how, boy, I hope, I hope they're really hearing this. Don't think of your spouse and how they need to hear this. Parents, don't think of your children. Friends, don't think of other friends. Open your heart and say, this describes me. This describes Bob. Let God speak and show you how to grow up in this arena. And then James has one more dimension for today. Not only does our talk carry power, not only does it represent massive evidence for our bottomless need for the grace of Jesus Christ, but thirdly, our talk reveals our character. And here's my sub-question. Who do you want to be? This is what James said. Who do you want to be when it comes to your speech? Because our talk reveals our character. And this point sort of collects the first two points and brings them to a place of practical theology, which will be a bridge into next week. But here it is. Look at verses 9 to 12. Out of the same mouth, James says, come praise and cursing. This should not be. I do that. And then he says, and he paints these word pictures again. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. These great word pictures once more. James is arguing that your words reveal the true character and condition of your heart. And this is exactly what Christ taught. Look at Luke 6, 44 and 45. Here Jesus also uses the example of a tree, and he sums it up with this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Listen, church, an apple tree is an apple, is an apple tree because it bears apples, and you see them, right? But you instinctively know that it is, it is consistently apple all the way down to its roots. And if it wasn't, it wouldn't produce apples. And in the same way, the problem of our talk, it's not a vocabulary problem. It's, it's not a content problem. It's not a technique problem. It's not a knowledge problem even. It's a heart problem, James is saying. Again, in couples counseling, teaching them how to communicate is not the primary issues. They actually know how to communicate. Aligning their hearts is the issue. Who do they want to be with each other? That's the issue of most couples counseling. So what James is saying is, perhaps our hearts are sick. Can you own that? Why does anger and impatience and bitterness flow out of our hearts? Because in our hearts, there is still a war going on between the kingdom of God we aspire to and the kingdom of self that we get stuck in. And we need God's help. We want to believe, in our heart of hearts, we want to believe that that our problem of speech exists outside of us. It's everybody else's fault. It's, it's a problem with everyone else. It's not inside me. And James says, no, 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 stop it. Stop it. The true character of your heart 
is revealed in your speech. Word problems are heart problems, James says. And here's the reality. If we purpose to follow Christ, James wants us to know that as Jesus lays claim to our motives, our desires, to our very heart, and we all sign up for that when we choose to follow Christ, when we respond to his grace and respond to the Holy Spirit who's moving us toward him, we, we surrender our hearts. But James wants us to know he is also laying claim to every word we speak. Wow. Now listen to me before you get totally discouraged. There is good news here this morning. God puts the mirror of his word, Jesus, in front of us because he loves us and he wants to rescue us. Not of, not, not out of, he wants to rescue us out of ourselves and into the beauty of his kingdom here on earth. On earth. You see the solution, there is a solution right here on earth. And the place to start is by owning your own stuff, your own weakness, your own sin. James says, no one can tame the tongue, and he is right about that. But Jesus can. Jesus can tame the tongue, and the hope for us here is found in one word. Not, not a word you would look up in a dictionary, but the word, the person. His name is Jesus, the word become flesh. Grace City, he went to the cross for our speech, too. He did. The perfect word of God suffered and died so, so that this morning, February 28th, 2021, we could come to him one more time and admit, I'm terrible at this. I have dishonored you with my talk, and I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your rescue, and I need your transforming grace so that I can grow up. Help me. And we can do so utterly unafraid, full of hope, to receive the love that is offered by Christ. So own your own stuff, Grace City. There's really only two places to go with this today. You can justify your world of talk and blame others, or you can look in the mirror of the Word of God, the Word of God, Jesus, and you can surrender. You can surrender. And here's a theological truth to carry with you for the rest of this week, maybe the rest of your life. Followers of Christ are always, we, we are always at our best when we surrender to Jesus. It's sort of counterintuitive, but we are at our best when we surrender. 